the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Each year here in Michigan, political business and philanthropic leaders gather on Mackinac Island for the Mackinac Policy Conference. It's an event that represents the largest collection of folks who are driving policy here in our state. I sat down with a lot of those leaders as part of last week's event, and this hour, as part of our series covering the conference, we're going to share some of those conversations with you. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad that you've joined. We're in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference, the annual chance for our leaders in the business, political, and philanthropic worlds to go north together, kind of isolate themselves, and maybe talk with each other in a different way. Think about our challenges, our successes, and our failures in a different way, and come up with solutions that sometimes are elusive when we're all back home. One of the annual rituals up here for years and years was called the Big Four discussion, and that was the leaders of Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb counties and the city of Detroit all on stage together talking about regionalism, talking about their common and uncommon problems. Uh, it was always one of my favorite parts of Mackinac. We've gotten away from it in recent years because it's more common for those leaders to talk to each other and to see each other. But it was always a reminder that Southeast Michigan is one place as much as it is many places. I'm really excited right now to be sitting across from someone who would be part of that Big Four discussion if we were having it on Mackinac <laughs> Island. Warren Evans is a former police chief of the city of Detroit, former Wayne County Sheriff, and now is the Wayne County Executive. Warren, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Good to see you and yeah. good to be back. It's good to see you up here on Mackinac, even though we won't have a big Ford discussion, which, which I said was one of my favorite things up here. Because of the drama. Because, <laughs> that's <laughs> right. right. It was like, they're going to fight about something. I want to be there. Um, uh, first, tell me about this Mackinac for you. What's on your agenda? What are you hoping or expecting to accomplish? Well, I think we're going to really accomplish several things. I've spent a lot of time talking to some key players who will be helpful in programs that the county's going to sponsor this year. Uh, health issues. Uh, we're really going to try to put a dent in, you know, as you know, Wayne County's always been 83rd out of 83 counties yeah. in every poor indicator yeah. uh, for health. And so... You know, much of that is, uh, you know, chronic disease as much of it is uh, 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 kind of the economic uh, pollution areas, mm -hmm. areas that are, you know, suffering from extreme cases of asthma and all that. So, you know, I, I've, I've spent time with the, the new president at the uh, University of Michigan, uh, some others, healthcare providers, uh, trying to see what synergies there really are mm. uh, that we can 
go at making some significant attempts at, at dealing with some of those problems. And I, and I think those will come to fruition. Uh, this has been coming 20 years. Yeah. Everybody that I've met this time basically said, what can we do together? Which is a different, whole different animal than most of the times I need you to do this. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, yeah. can you do that? So. I'm optimistic. And you've got a, uh, a new health com- uh, health director in, in Wayne County, somebody who's familiar to lots of us. He was the health director in the city of Detroit uh, as well, Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed. Talk about his role in, in refocusing on those health deficits that we have in Wayne County and, and coming up with, with ways to fill them. Well, you know, as an immunologist and, you know, uh, you know uh, a very well-trained uh, Person and one who has been in the political arena enough to understand some of the the ups and downs of it. I think he he brings a passion to public health that I haven't seen before, uh, and he has tremendous talent uh, in creating projects, getting them going, and for once, let's have some metrics so we can see what it's doing. Yeah. I mean, and uh, so I'm really I recruited him for that reason. Uh, and I'm uh, glad to have him on board, and I think he's, uh, by and large, glad to be there. Yeah. Uh, government never works as quickly as <laughs> one may desire, but we're, we're, we're moving. Yeah. So I, 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 I want to talk a little about the, the Wayne County Jail and staffing, the challenges that you've had there. I guess it's a staffing challenge countywide as well in county government. Uh, but, but what effect that's having on the county's ability to deliver services the way that it should and and critically in the jail which is uh, I, I feel like a consistently challenged space we always got something that doesn't quite quite work the way it should uh, in that in that part of government well i think you're talking about the juvenile detention uh, juvenile facility. that's right so that's this right. is not the adult it's jail not the or adult the sheriff's jail. world that's right uh and yeah i mean we were uh having some significant problems uh, uh, the problems you talk about manpower shortages, mm-hmm. and the county certainly has those those challenges. But everybody else does too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the recruiting it's is hard difficult. to hire right now, right? So if you take the hard to hire and then deal with the overcrowding, uh, which makes your overcrowding makes your staffing issue even more significant, you, you you have some problems. And it's not these are not problems that we haven't been trying to deal with for. Uh, over a year, mm-hmm. uh, but they are by and large problems when kids are adjudicated in our system. They are supposed to be placed in in facilities, and those are state facilities or at least state funded facilities. Thank God they're really not state facilities. Right. I think the state would say that too, but yeah. they should be placed in residential programs that reduces the population. It gets them the treatment that they're supposed to be getting, because the reality is they're not doing time. They shouldn't be doing time. They should be getting their lives straightened out. So the combination of not enough staff, the combination of uh, the people not going out fast caused an emergency situation with us. But we stepped right on it. We we have hired a bunch of new uh, employees. We're still recruiting in the county. We're raising salaries to make that you know, a more viable option, but we've also worked with uh, some staffing companies to get people to come in. And, you know, we've been under a county emergency that we <clears throat> instituted because would help us cut through some red tape and get some stuff done. And I'm 
I'm very comfortable. I think uh, Dr. Sayad would say the same thing, that within the next two or three weeks, uh, the emergency will be over. Will be over, yeah. What are the long-term issues we need to address in that juvenile facility and with juvenile justice? Really two, well, <clears throat> you ask two totally distinct <laughs> two questions. Let me start right? with the first one. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we have to make sure that there are enough uh, beds uh, in facilities for kids to be placed. I don't mean warehoused, but placed so that With the some process, support, yeah. Right. Because, I mean, unlike an adult system, a person sits in the jail for uh, 30 days, let's say, and he goes out, they get credit for time served. These kids don't get credit for anything because they're going to a program that has a beginning and an end. And whenever they get there is when they get there. And so there's really the issue of them spending significant amounts of time of their life that they're not being treated and they're being held somewhere they shouldn't be. And that's just, you know, it's unconscionable. Uh, so that's a big part of it. The right. other thing is, you know, we build a new juvenile detention facility in this criminal justice complex, which we will be moving into sometime <laughs> this year. I see you, you heard me. I'm going to say, is that right? Is it's going to happen. It's yeah. going to happen. And I, and I, do I know there have been a lot of delays, but. Yeah, and I think they are the delays based on COVID and a bunch of other difficulties. Sure. I am not at all distressed with the delays. I, I, I know how that works. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I think they're coming along well. We will get in there this year, and it'll have a new state-of-the-art juvenile detention facility uh, that will help us have facilities to better deal with uh, the number of kids we have. Yeah. And by the way, that game is changing so much. Uh, uh, it, the kids are older. We now hold 18-year-olds. Big difference between a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's just one of those things where it used to be childcare work, and often in urban areas now, because of the age and the aggressiveness of kids, not everybody. Yeah. Uh, it is it's not something that uh, the same kind of person who wanted to be a child care worker wants to come work. Uh, and so that's got to evolve, too, and hopefully uh, you know, we'll, we'll get it right. Yeah. I, I want to talk about something that you and I have talked about recently, and, th and that's what we do for the tremendous number of people in our community who return to that community from incarceration of some point. Uh, they are in jail awaiting trial for a long time, or they are away in prison for a long time, and they come back to communities that are, I think it's fair to say, ill-prepared to offer them the kind of support and opportunities that they need. It, it, it's something that you do hear a lot of people talking about, and, and there are some efforts being made, but we're a long way from... I think building the infrastructure that we need to deal with just the number of people and, of course, the complexity of problems that these returning citizens are faced with. That's exactly right, I think. And when you say infrastructure, I think that's the right term for it. We bunch have a bunch of kind of ad hoc projects that are designed to do this, and not everyone knows what those are. Mm -hmm. And the people who need it most may be the ones least knowledgeable about it, and we're still putting people out, uh, releasing them without ID. Mm. You know, it, it, you've already been to prison. You come out, the world has changed some, now you're trying to figure out how to get back in, 
in the basic. I mean, you got to have identification. Right. There, there are you can't those, do anything without yeah, ID. Right. And so that's where a part of the infrastructure loop that I think has to loop together with uh, work training programs and other sorts of things, or we're still going to be having chronically unemployed people and giving lip service to the fact that we're trying to train them. But the reality is with transportation problems and ID problems and all of those things, we really aren't because they can't get to where they need to be. And we need to quit burying our heads in the sand and not understanding how significant that problem is and quit talking about it and get together and fix it. Part of the problem, it seems to me, is jurisdictional, I guess, is, is the way I would describe it. It's unclear whose responsibility it is to focus on this in quite the right way. Is that city government? Is it state government, which in many cases has custody of these returning citizens before they come back? Mm -hmm. Is it county government? Uh, And, of course, in the case of city and county government, you're talking about places that have serious financial constraints to begin with. So, So is it that we haven't decided who should do it? Everybody should do it. I you mean, feel like everyone should be involved. The answer is, yeah. I mean, private industry, the the, the skilled trades who uh, provide training, everybody has to get in it. It's a transit issue. I mean, you know, and we're still talking about what we ought to do. There has to be a kind of a 360-degree discussion mm-hmm. so that we fill gaps. In order to do that, it's really not any governmental agency or particular industry's problem. It's a societal problem, Mm -hmm. and we've got to get together and and figure out how to do it. I mean, you know, funding always becomes an issue, but funding's not an issue until you have a plan. We don't have a plan. We don't even have the plan, right? Uh, I I want to talk about regionalism, and the, which is the word that we used to use all the time uh, up here, especially to talk about our problems in, in Metro Detroit. It does seem to be something that people are less focused on, at least as it pertains to the executives in the counties and and the mayor. And I think some of that is because the collaboration between those parties is more normal, I guess, maybe more consistent. But but I really wonder what your perspective is on that as someone who has, you know, been part of that quadrant for a really long time and has seen what's what's changed and what's different. Now, are, are we to the point where we don't need to talk about regionalism so much because we're actually doing it? Yeah, in many respects, we are doing it. and uh, But I think we still do have to talk about it because there are areas where the regionalism hasn't, working. you know, and you know, transportation would be the biggest yeah, example. Well, right. uh, but, you know, but no, there's a good relationship. I mean, we talk to each other regularly, we being uh, the other two county executives and uh, the mayor of the city. There are, uh, as I know of, no stilted relationships. Uh, they're all solid. You call, you pick up the phone, we try to work with each other uh, and try to assist. And I mean, that's the regional idea. Uh, and so I think you're absolutely right. There's less need to talk about it because it's not going to be, you know, a fight on the stage uh, or throwing barbs at each other uh, for the purpose of the audience. It's, it's you know, we try to quietly uh, collaborate as much as we can. And I think it's working. Even in economic development, you know, uh, we're all on the boards of, uh, you know, Detroit Regional Partnership. And, you know, uh, economic development work is, is going to Oakland, Wayne. You know, we're... we're 
we do see that we're not going to get everything. Uh, but if the region gets most everything, they will all be uh, more successful regionally. Yeah, you, you mentioned transit. We've seen some small steps forward, I think, in that regard recently. Some of the votes that have been taken, some of the money that's committed to expanding regional transit. But I said this to someone earlier today, we still don't have a regional approach to transit. And look, we passed the regional transit authority now some, what, 10, almost 11 or 12 years ago. It's not, it's not doing what we thought it was going to do. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if everybody thought it was going to do it. <laughs> you never <laughs> but, believed? <laughs> well, I mean, I hoped. Yeah. Believing and hoping. Yeah, it's two different little, things. <laughs> yeah, a little, little different. One of the, uh, the big things about uh, transit is you kind of, in different parts of the region, the need is different. It's totally different. And then if you take the business community in Detroit, it's it's something different. It you know let's see how fast we can get people up Woodward or do this or the other or justify why we have a queue line that you know now the public's paying for. I mean yeah. transit hasn't really been going in any <laughs> unified uh, you know direction it, for me in inner cities and smaller cities. I have. Uh, the biggest problem folks need is to be able to get out to the main drags, you know, and in some of our communities where they've opted out of smart, that's even farther. So the real problem is who's going to, it's almost an Uber or a a, a Lyft type issue. What they need to do is be able to get out to the smart lines to be able to go where they're going. Other places people have in their mind that transit is the ability to get from Detroit to Ann Arbor in warp speed or go or the you airport. Know, uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, but depending on where it is. So I don't think there's a consensus hmm. uh, about what we need to fix first anyway. And so, again, the design and plan, let's see if we can, as my grandfather would have said, cut the hog a little bit on this and figure out uh, what we can agree on and then start to try to do that <laughs> rather than uh, hit and miss, hit and miss. Yeah. Okay, Uh, Warren Evans, Wayne County Executive, always great to speak with you. Great to catch catch up with you here on Mackinac Island during the Mackinac Policy Conference. Thanks for coming by. Thanks, Steve. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more from the Mackinac Policy Conference. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island for the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference. You know, there are lots of people who come to this conference every year, and then there are people who are real fixtures at the conference, not just because they come, but because of the presence uh, that they command when they're up here. I'm sitting across right now from one of those people. He is the county executive of Macomb County, Mark Hackle. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. I really like the baseball cap with the throwback type Throwback, logo. 68 logo. I like that. That's yeah. really nice. Yeah. I just noticed it. You know, it's really hard to find them. Uh, <laughs> it is. I, I need a replacement, and I'm having a hard time. I think I, I call the Illiches to, to see if they'll find one and sell it to that me. That stands out. Well yeah. done. Well yeah. played. So, so you are somebody who, as I said, has a, a real commanding presence up here. You've made a lot of the opportunity that 
this affords us as people who are often not able to sit down and, and have really frank, extended conversations. And, and we come here, of course, to be able to do that. But one of the coolest things about your presence here is you always have a billboard on I-75 or, or a billboard or two talking about something that you think is important. I did not drive up this year, so I didn't see him. So I want you to tell our <laughs> listeners what your billboards were. Yeah, we did, we've been doing it so 11 years into it. And I, the reason for it was just exactly what you said. Sometimes they come up here and everybody has their own mindset, their own agenda, what they're looking for. And the policy conference always has, you know, their uh, their theme, you know, mm-hmm. for what's happening. But we also want to kind of interject what's happening in Macomb and what's important to us. But again, this year's theme is something I think that's important, not just to Macomb County, the region, the state, but even across the country. And it's just a mindful approach to mental health. And what do we mean by that? Everybody says we need to do something about the challenges, the issues, we see in the communities about mental health. And uh, in Macomb County, we are not saying we need to do something. We are doing something. And so as a county, we have a responsibility to run a county jail. But we've recognized that county jails, when they closed these institutions around the state 20, 30 years ago, thinking there was going to be supportive services on a community base, uh, it didn't happen. And so what happened is there's been a lot of challenges and it just progressively have gotten worse with our schools, with our, uh, our actually our workplaces. And we're seeing it kind of transfer into the healthcare systems where they're trying to figure out how do they handle patients that are coming in with mental health issues. But the most uh, impacted was law enforcement, specifically jails. And uh, with that, there are a lot of people with mental health issues in our jail. We're going to be fixing our jail. But with that, with that mindset towards making sure that the people that are in those facilities are getting the proper care, but those that don't need to be in there are being handed off to community corrections as well as community mental health to figure out how do we provide better services for them within the community. So this is a problem I feel like, I mean, there's no question we have every community in Michigan struggling still to try to figure out how to manage this issue since we closed much of the public infrastructure that that supported people who who are struggling with mental illness but i also feel like it's the kind of thing that you can't just kind of scratch the surface of it is a really deeply rooted problem in our communities its tentacles reach to all kinds of other things that that government and and business need to, to to pay for how did you decide where to start and what what is it about what you're doing that you think turns the needle on this issue. Yeah, 30 years in law enforcement, uh, you know, after I spent those 30 years, we realized uh, once they were closing those institutions, I was a sergeant at the department, and back then, uh, you know, the chair of my father at the time said, we are going to be the new institution for these facilities because there is no safety net. And uh, boy, that came true. And over the years, we've seen it progressively get worse. But, you know, being the county executive for 12 years, I hear what's happening in the schools. I, I listen to those that are in the healthcare profession, and everybody's saying the same thing. This is a, this is a broad-based issue, and everybody's uh, dealing with it. Well, I look at it as we can continue to provide support and kind of uh, ideas and thoughts as to what can happen you know, for those other entities. But the reality is, as a county, we have a responsibility to do something if and when the opportunity presents itself. Well, that opportunity has presented itself. We're 20, 30 years into a facility that's needed um, to be fixed and uh, you know, kind of a new facility. So with that, we know we have to fix that jail. If we do something that has a component to making sure we're providing services in this, not just a brick and mortar, but the services provided for mental health, it will have or it will resonate to, I guess, lessen the impact that we're seeing within the community in all those other areas. You know, And so with that, we're taking the first step forward on this. Uh, I think it's going to be monumental. I think you're going to see others look to say, you know what, we need to, we need to do something with our facilities, uh, not just throughout the state, but probably throughout the country. And uh, Stephen, I take it a step further. As a county sheriff, 
when somebody was, uh, I guess, remanded to the custody of the sheriff, when a case is adjudicated, if they're going to stay there because it's a misdemeanor and the judge says you're sentenced to the county jail for a period of time, we got to manage them while they're there. But if it happens to be a felony and they're going to be transferred to the state, what we used to do, and we currently do, most of the 83 counties, is send that body to the state without any real understanding as to the mental health issues. And so their placement issues are, it's like, we got a body here. What are we doing with them? Now they've got to do a full assessment, make yeah. a determination. We're going to be handing off a body with that assessment and the treatment that's been provided. So the state now is getting somebody that is a known commodity. They're, they're going to understand more about that person. Uh, it's a really progressive approach to, to the idea. Talk to me about the cost and where you find the money. Great question. Again, we were fortunate. We looked at the money that we got from the CARES funds. Wayne, Oakland, Macomb, um, uh, Kent County, and the city of Detroit got CARES fund during the pandemic. 152 million Macomb County. I'll just stay specific on that. And we did things for businesses and PPE and you know test sites and vaccination clinics and all this stuff. That 152 million was transactional. It went so quick. Mm -hmm. It was gone. And there was really nothing to show for it. Well, when this money came down and they were looking at you know the new ARP Monday uh, that came our way, the initial conversation was do them something that's transformative rather than transactional. And so we talked to our board of commissioners, Don Brown, the chair of that board, as well as you know the other members and said, you know, we need to fix this jail. Let's do something transformative with this funding that has an impact on mental health and substance abuse issues. And uh, we got their attention. They were supportive of it, realizing if we can do something that is transformative with this funding to support that, um, let's 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 look at it. And so we realized 130 million dollars of funding that's coming from the ARP funding as well as $40, $50 million from county funds that we have in our general fund, and leaning into the state for system board uh, on this as well, knowing that this is going to help them uh, down the road when we transfer prisoners to their facilities. We believe we have the funding for the brick and mortar, hmm. but now working with community corrections and community mental health, they have funding to support what we're talking about on the programmatic side. And so we're very fortunate to, to have those working relationships uh, to make sure that obviously down the road after we build a facility, we know we're going to have funding to help deal with the programming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I want to talk about Macomb and how it's changing. I, I, I grew up in Detroit and in Southeast Michigan. I remember Macomb very distinctly from my childhood and what it was. And when I go to places that I thought I knew in Macomb, they're totally different. Now, uh, there's, there's a, a demographic change taking place. There's economic change taking place. Uh, talk to me about what all of that means, and especially from your chair as, uh, as the county executive. Yeah, I was born in Detroit, actually a hospital in Detroit, but uh, grew up in the southern part of Macomb County, the city of Warren. Um, and you're right. I mean, all you know, my 60 years of uh, you know, being in Macomb County, I've seen the transformation, and the numbers show it. I mean, if you actually look at it statistically, data-wise, you know, the population growth, we're over 900,000 people right now, but it's a different type of uh, 900,000 people, yeah. far different than what it once was. And so, you know, we're seeing the diversity within Macomb County has expanded. It's exploded. I mean, it's incredible. In fact, one of the one of the telling signs is, you know, we use this statistic or figure, which is kind of uh, significant. Right now in Macomb County, one in nine people living in Macomb County are foreign born. Hmm. So they don't even come from, you know, being kind of um, regional migration. Right. Uh, we're seeing people coming from other countries living in Macomb County. Wow. So Almost 10%. Well, more yes, than 10%. It's over 10%, correct. Wow. And with that being said, you know, you kind of look at that and I'm thinking those numbers are pretty substantial. And my question 
question is always, you know, why? What is it? People don't move where they don't feel welcome. They don't go someplace where they don't think they can raise a family or they can find, you know, an opportunity, uh, you know, in, in that location. And so, you know, I could talk about, you know, everything I think is good about Macomb County and why people are moving there or whatever. But I think the numbers show that there's a reason why people are, are continuing to find this is a place that is welcoming and a place for them to want to go ahead and raise their family. So, you know, when we talk about educational attainment levels have gone up, we're seeing that household income's gone up. Right now, when you talk about the uh, workforce, you know, for, we, have, we have historic highs in workforce numbers. 420,000 people now in the workforce. Our unemployment is incredibly low. In fact, that's an unfortunate reality because we have 35,000 jobs available right, right. now in Macomb <laughs> County. Can't fill them, right? right. And so we're going to continue to try to figure out how do we encourage people, you know, not so much from the regional mi migration because that doesn't help the region, but uh, how do we get people from other states to want to move to this region? And, you know, with that being said, not just even from, uh, you know, from this country, but from overseas that are willing to want to come here and look to uh, raise a family. So we welcome that. And I think you've seen a drastic change in Macomb County over the over the last couple of decades. Uh, do you find that county government needs to provide different services or more support given the, the, the changes, the demographic changes that are happening and the economic changes that are happening in the county? I think it's both. I think and we need to support those that want to bring those supportive services. You know, the Chaldean community, incredible services that they provide. And it's not just for the Chaldean population that's, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, that's coming from overseas. Uh, their outreach is incredibly supported by our health department, by our Macomb Community Action, our health and human services organization. So we tend to see that there's been a great, uh, I guess, uh, uh, interest on behalf of not just the county providing services or the local units of government, we're finding that there's the private sector and those that are from other countries or different cultures saying, you know what, we want to contribute, we want to be part of this uh, reasoning as to why people find it attractive to live in this area, to, to get people to feel like, you know what, they belong and uh, help them, you know, integrate into uh, to the communities. Yeah. I'm talking with Mark Hackle. He is the county executive in Macomb County. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference. We talk all the time about regionalism uh, and our successes and our challenges with regionalism in Southeast Michigan. Uh, you've been a key player in that conversation now for a long time. Uh, how do you think we're doing? Are we winning that battle? Are we working together better? I think so. I, th I think we're getting there. If you look at, you know, Macomb County, you know, every asset that is out there that's regional, whether it's Great Lakes Water Authority, the Detroit Zoo, uh, you know, we talk about Kobo, Huntington Place, um, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, the RTA. Macomb County has always been supportive of transit by, obviously, the village they had back in the 90s with SMART. We're all in. We're finally seeing Oakland County now has finally no opt-outs, opt right? In. You know, Wayne County still got their challenges with the opt-in part of that. Uh, in fact, uh, prior to coming here, I was just meeting with uh, Dave Coulter and Warren Evans. We just had a conversation about some federal money and state money that might come in to help enhance, you know, what's going on with the uh, transit uh, that we have currently in place. So you know, there's constant conversations about, you know, how do we continue to be regional, uh, supportive? I'm working to help uh, Wayne County right now with the issues they're having with the uh, the JJC, their juvenile justice facility mm -hmm. in the state. So with that, we leaned into supporting them, and so we're going to be taking some of those kids into our facilities here in Macomb County. Um, Oakland County is helping us with some issues we're dealing with with our medical examiner's office. So again, there's always the cooperation and uh, kind of that, uh, you know, that willingness uh, to figure out how do we partner and how do we support one another. Um, and uh, again, a great working relationship with, you know, Dave as well as Warren and even Mike, Mike Duggan. Yeah. So. So, so you are now the senior member of what we used to call the big four, right? Uh, or the big three. I can't remember what we called it. When, when, when up here, yeah, yeah, it was big four. It Every was. year, 
it was a big deal that we have all four on the stage together up here on Mackinac talking about things. What's changed in the time? I mean, I remember when you were new and you were the the, the newcomer to that conversation. Uh, what's changed? I, you know, I think the thing that changed most for me is I feel more comfortable with it. I mean, my background has been law enforcement, public safety. I was teaching in academies and at the Wayne State and Cone Community College. I grew up in law enforcement, so getting into this county executive role it was a new role. In fact, we never had one, and so now you're, right. you're you're the first first. County executive. So you know, with that, it wasn't so much you're like you know watching what's going on in Oakland or Wayne. We had a you know we had a document that you had to figure out what does it mean? You know, how do we make sense of it? And you're kind of uh, working with a legislative branch, kind of taking away what they once had because they were doing both the executive and legislative roles. So there was a huge challenge early on in trying to understand what my role was, but also marketing, promoting the county and trying to figure out how do we build on the things that, uh, you know, that we believe we are and, you know, how do we how do we grow the county in many different ways, uh, but also reaching out to my counterparts. And uh, back then it was, you know, Brooks Patterson, mm-hmm. it was Bob Facano, and they'd been around a long time. So getting up on the stage with these guys, you know, I'll, I'll admit I was uh, nervous, a little <laughs> apprehensive, because I didn't know to the extent that they understood, you yeah. know, about healthcare, economic development, you know, roads, and you know, all the issues that are, you know, surrounding the infrastructure concerns. So, but I learned quickly because of the people that I was able to bring on board within my organization, administration. Uh, I learned from them, and then paying attention and seeing what works and what didn't work. So I feel much more comfortable now having conversations and trying to figure out where we headed because I learned to ask a lot of questions, listen, pay yeah. attention, yeah. and uh, try to figure out, you know, what is the best solution moving forward is to try to figure out how do I deal with the politics. I, I tend to shy away from, you know, doing things that are politically Those correct. pesky politics. I know, it gets in the way. It gets in the way. So, so before I have to let you go, what do you think is the next step on transit? We had this great vote uh, recently where... We got rid of the opt-outs in Oakland County and and some more money to do some really interesting things. But we're still a long way from, I think, the vision that that some of us were embracing after the passage of the RTA. And, And we just have never gotten that going. We don't really have great regional transit planning or execution. So so how do we how do we keep the momentum going, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I tend to look at it from the perspective of what's worked for Macomb County. And Smart, you know, being our provider, has always been there anytime we're looking for something more, you know, if we decided to add. Because when we first started, you know, it was about a third of a mill. And now we're up to a mill that we're paying. But again, it was progressively because we're adding certain assets. I think the people in Macomb County would be more than willing to take a look at and devote on or support, a, uh, I guess, a, an enhancement if they understand exactly what that plan what is, what means. are we looking to do. But you also got to factor in, and I far be it for me to tell any county what to do and how to manage their affairs. But, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Wayne County. They're still the only one that is the opt-out. You know, they're not uh, they're not together. Like, they're communities you know, that can correct. say they don't want to participate. Right. right, and I'm not the one that's trying to figure out how they pull it together. But we did it. Our board of commissioners put it on the ballot countywide, and obviously a decision was made. Oakland County just did the same. Their county board put it on the ballot, and that's how that happens, you know. So, again, whether Wayne County does or uh, continues to decide not to, that's up to Wayne County. I Again, I don't inject myself, but having everybody on board uh, as a region where they're all, you know, everyone's paying a f- the full mill yeah. and uh, you're getting those supportive services and there are no communities opting out, I think that's the uh, the level playing field that's needed before we start moving into so, so other So how assets. do we connect that, though, to RTA, which, which we passed and decided that that was how we we're going to do it and we haven't done it. Yeah, I don't think it's going to take the RTA to do that. I think it's going to take, you know, probably Wayne County uh, yes. initiative to do something to make sure. sure that everybody is on board first and then talk to those that are part of this uh, smart system as to what do we need to do to enhance? Because I think that's where you possibly are going to get buy-in from the residents from the entire region if they see that everybody's paying their full mill 
that's fully connected, which is what we've always talked about first, but Macomb has always been fully connected from the 1990s. And so with that, then the opportunities to enhance based upon what we're looking for, if it's routes to the airport or yeah. rapid transit up and down some of the major quarters. Uh, the opportunities are there, but the people need to see that everybody's on board first uh, before we start adding another layer. Yeah. Well, we definitely need a lot of things, and, and yes. the, the whole region gets held back because we don't have them. So Yes, and even, even, even the infrastructure itself, you know, we're talking about roads, bridges, and then the underground concerns. I mean, there's, there's a lot of looming concerns because it's not getting any better. And the question becomes, how do we fund that uh, becomes the biggest concern. Because there isn't a bridge or road we can't fix, but we need to figure out how we fix the funding to support that. To make sure that yes. they're well cared for, sure. Okay, Mark Hackle. Macomb County Executive, always great to catch up with you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks Appreciate for coming you. by here on Mackin Island. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more of Detroit Today. Stay where you are. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us for the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference. And I'm joined now by one of the most prominent voices and thinkers in our region. Dave Coulter is the former mayor of Ferndale and is now the Oakland County Executive. Dave, welcome back to Detroit Today. It is always great to be with you, Stephen. Yeah, Thanks. It's great to see you up here as well. Um, I'll start where I start with everybody up here. Uh, what's on your agenda this week? What are you here to accomplish? Um, I love the theme of the agenda this year. I mean, I would have come anyway, regardless of what the theme was. But the, the power of and really resonates for me because yeah. we it has been either or for too long. Our politics, our, our conversations have gotten too polarized. And if we can figure out where that sweet spot is in the middle, uh, I think we could move the region a long way. And it seems like there's a commitment to do that. I was impressed at the governor's press conference this morning where she had Republicans and Democrats alike coming together to work on the issue of population growth yeah. in Michigan, which yeah. she and I have been talking about for a couple of years. I think it's important that we're not growing fast enough. And so if we can, if we can come into some of these challenges with that mindset, I, I think we can, we can make some serious project progress here. So I, I've talked with Warren Evans, who's the County exec in Wayne and with Mark Hackle, who's the county exec in Macomb, and, and Mike Duggan, who's the mayor of the city of Detroit. And I've, I've mentioned to all of them that, you know, several years ago, there would have been a big event up here of the four of you sitting on a stage together discussing our regional issues, maybe fighting a little, and that was maybe why we were also intrigued by that. Um, but but it reminds me that, that we don't do that anymore. And part of the reason, I think, is because the four of you have more interaction than you used to, and there's less reason to make a big deal of it. Uh, but that also suggests that we're doing better from a regional perspective. And I, I just want to get your take on on that. You're you're newer in the role than yeah. than the other than the other three. But but is it your sense that that's working pretty well? You know, I am the newer guy. I've been in the job now for almost four years. So I, you know, I think it is, but I didn't really know how it worked other than from the outside right. before. But I was really encouraged when uh, Mark and Warren and I did sort of a big three event a couple weeks ago and, and, and 
we were asked, do you think, how do you think collaboration is going? And Warren Evans, who's kind of the veteran of the group, said, uh, I think it's better than it's ever been. And I, I know that my predecessor was often kind of characterized as the guy who, you know, the <laughs> potster and the whatever, whatever, however you want to describe that. But I, I came into this job with uh, the intent to try to reduce those barriers and be collaborative, work together where we can. And we we do it pretty well, you know, like like in other things in life. We have more in common than we have apart. And if you focus on the few things that you don't agree on, then it seems like it's confrontation. But in, in reality, we get along uh, and we work together much better than we argue. Than you, than you used to. <laughs> so, so I always want to, you know, relate questions like that to something specific. Yep. Transit, yeah. uh, the worst of our problems, I think, in in Metro Detroit, we just we can't get our act together and figure out how to really approach that from a regional perspective and create the kind of network and infrastructure that we need. So, put that in the context of the regional discussion among the four of you. Are we making progress toward a better regional solution? Well, and you know, you and I share the opinion of the value of transit, uh, yeah. in part because of what I mentioned about not growing as a region. I think this is one of the ways that we retain and attract younger mm-hmm. people to our mm-hmm. region because they want transit alternatives. But uh, but we have had some really productive conversations up here. Uh, we're coming to agreement on on pieces. So even though you know we don't have a press conference to hold yet and we don't have a grand plan, uh, I, I will say that I think there's been some really constructive uh, conversations. There's we we've we're, we're figuring out what we agree on mm-hmm. and where that sweet spot is that I mentioned earlier. What can we agree on? What can we begin to uh, put resources into? And and the reason it's important now. I mean, it's always important, but I feel like there's a moment in time now where. There are resources available in Lansing. There's a lot of resources for infrastructure available in Washington. Uh, and so the stars have sort of aligned. You have a legislature now in Lansing that is pro-transit and it wants is. to do something yeah. and are looking at folks like us to tell them what the plan is. And so I think we feel an increased responsibility uh, to help guide that conversation. Mm. So uh, I, I always want to talk about how Oakland County is changing because I'm fascinated by it. You know, I grew up in this region, and Oakland County, the, the, the different communities in, in Oakland County each had a pretty solid identity, and boy, if I go to those places now, they don't look anything like that anymore, and uh, uh, that means political change, that means economic change, and, and it, it also means new challenges. So I always want to hear from you about those changes and, and, and what they are what are they presenting you with in the way of, of challenge? Uh, it, it is, a, it is a, a county that has changed a lot over the years. You're right. I, have, you know, I grew up in Macomb County, so uh-huh. I kind of looked at Oakland County from afar and mm-hmm. had my own stereotypes. Mm-hmm. One of the communi- communities that I probably stereotyped as much as any is Troy. That felt like a very <laughs> straight-laced, conservative kind of, yeah. I don't know, well, however you want to describe it. And now almost 30% of the people that live in the city of Troy uh, are foreign-born. Uh, these are folks that, have, you know, do not look like me. Yeah. And, uh, but it, 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 instead of, 
I don't know, harming the community in some way. It, it's, it's only enhanced it. And this is true. You see this in Farmington Hills and Novi. These are very diverse communities, and yet that diversity has contributed to the success yeah. of those communities. They, they, they send their kids to the schools. They open stores. They, they're good neighbors. They're good Oakland County residents. So yeah. the face of the county itself has changed. And then with that, uh, poli- politically it has changed. You know, I'm the first Democrat. Uh, and not just the first Democrat, but you know, a gay guy sitting here in, in Oakland, in, <laughs> in, in Oakland County, in Oakland County. Right. But and it and it, it wasn't even really an issue in my yeah. campaign. You yeah. know what I mean? We've 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 become much more tolerant and diverse, and uh, to the point where I don't want I don't want to say it's not an issue. It's always an issue that we have to be mindful of. But uh, uh, you know, it's it's very different than it has been. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to talk to you about uh, cities in in Oakland County, and one city in particular, Pontiac. Yeah, I understand. There's something exciting that may be happening in Pontiac, and I I'm excited by it because. Again, I remember Pontiac from when I was uh, a kid. It was a much more vibrant and stable place than than it than it has been. Uh, it, it is a victim of the disinvestment in cities that I think is is pretty common in Michigan and other places, and it's been staring us in the face. I feel like for a long time, saying, "Look, yeah, we do this differently. You, you can. You just have to to focus on it." And I think maybe you're about to do that. Yeah. Uh- I agree with you. And having been a former mayor, I look at it also from the lens of the opportunities that are there, right? There's so much potential there. But you talk about disinvestment. and It wasn't just General Motors and some of the corporations that left, but the county literally pulled out its employees, pulled the courthouse out, moved it onto a beautiful campus kind of on the west end of town. Uh, And I said when I first became county executive... I want to. I want to make a commit. I'm, I'm committed to Pontiac. It's our county seat. I think it has so much potential. It ha- has seen so much disinvestment. I want to move county employees to downtown. Mm. Uh, it's taken me a little longer uh, to pull that off, to find the right project, to find the right way to do it. Uh, but the mayor and I were talking a few months ago, and we we sort of uh, agreed on a plan that we're now bringing before the legislature, where the county would actually purchase. Uh, an office building in downtown Pontiac. It's the former General Motors building on Judson Street. It's next to the Phoenix Center, which it's been its own albatross for Pontiac. Yeah. And this po- this project, if we are able to pull it together and if the state is willing to give us some assistance, we would tear down the Phoenix Center, reopen Saginaw Street. It was a mistake in hindsight to build a parking deck on top of your main street. <laughs> uh, and then we'd fill up General Motors with uh, b- building uh, with the county employees. You'd add a d- another... 500, 600 people to an Ottawa Towers that is mostly full, but would be fuller. I think it would spur other development, and suddenly you got foot traffic. So when Slows comes back to Pontiac because they want to do a restaurant there, they got the foot traffic to support them for the restaurants and the and the bars and the and the other things downtown. I think it could be transformational uh, because I think it would be not only specifically bringing those people to town, but it will send a message to developers who are interested in Pontiac but are just not quite sure if that's if they're there yet. It, it, it could be a green flag for them to say, yep, the county's in it and I want to be in part of that too. Yeah. And from a county-wide and regional perspective, talk about why Pontiac matters. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who would say that's a city that had its time. There were lots of things that happened that, that led to its decline. That's unfortunate. But we have other places that, that we'd rather focus on. We have other places that perform 
the same kinds of uh, cultural and uh, economic uh, things that, that Pontiac once did. What, why does it matter to go back to Pontiac? Um, a lot of reasons, but I'll give you three. Uh, number one, it's our county seat. It is. It is the center of the county. So with that comes a certain, and it's surrounded by wealth. So there's just something inequitable about the fact that our county seat, uh, a majority minority community, is just the city that's lost all the investment. There, mm-hmm. There's just something inequitable about that yeah. on, on its face, in, in my opinion. From a moral standpoint, From a moral that's problematic. It, it's, it's problematic. Um, but... But also, I mean, but that's thinking back. And when I, but I also see this as a real opportunity looking forward. I'm forward thinking, and I I, I think the opportunity forward is, you say we have other communities that are kind of taking over some of those roles, but not to the extent that Pontiac could. I mean, Ferndale, where I live and I love it, but it's relatively small. It's Mm -hmm. four square miles. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Royal Oak is somewhat like that, but I... I just believe that if we want to attract and retain young people, like we talked about earlier, they're looking for urban communities, walkable, vibrant communities with stuff going on. And Pontiac could be that in a way for Oakland County that we don't really have. We're never going to have a Detroit and we don't need one because we got Detroit. But if you think of an area of Detroit like Midtown, which is doing so well, it could be Oakland County's Midtown, yeah. and not, you know, not that we're trying to replicate anything. It could be that urban center that attracts younger people, young families, businesses, and the like, and do entertainment and other things at a scale that I don't think other communities could do in Oakland County. Yeah, yeah. You've got another uh, really interesting initiative going on in uh, Oakland County that you were telling me about before we got on the air. Uh, you want to share that with our listeners as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about this one. I launched it before COVID, but and I totally ripped it off from the governor. I give her total props for it. <laughs> uh, because in her first state of the state address, she said... Uh, 40% of people in Michigan have something beyond a post-secondary degree. Yeah. Uh, that's high school. Uh, and that's not enough. That's not enough for Michigan to compete in the future. So she said, I'm going to set a goal of the state getting to 60% uh, of something beyond high school uh, by the year of 2030. So they call it 60 by 30. So I came back to my office and asked my staff, that's an interesting idea. Where are we at? We were at about 61%, Stephen. So, you know, what do we do? Rest on our laurels and wait till the ca- state catches <laughs> up? Good. Heck no. We're Oakland County. We help lead the economic growth in, Oakland, in Michigan. So, I'll, so I gather business leaders, union leaders, uh, you know, labor leaders that do apprenticeship programs because it doesn't have to be a four-year degree. It could be a two-year degree. It could be a certification. Uh, but you need something. You've got to have something these days. I mean, the economy has changed. The world has changed. You've got to have those skills. And Oakland County, one of its, you know, secret sauces economically is that we've had a skilled workforce. Mm-hmm that pay good wages. So how do we maintain that going forward? So I brought all these people together. I laid out the problem for them and then said, help me understand. What could we do? If we got intentional about this, if the county put resources behind it, what could we do? And they are the ones that concluded, well, if you're serious about this and you put some capital behind it, uh, we could get to 80%. So I'm like, all right, I can't do this without you. So we set the goal of 80%. We call it Oakland 80. Uh, and just recently, uh, after two years, we did our first report card of where, where we've gotten to. Uh, and we hit 69%, Stephen. Wow. You don't move the needle if you're not intentional and you're not, you don't have a strategy That's a big jump, by the it, way. It, if you started at 61, got to 69. To 69. And, my goodness. 
So I got 11 more points to get to uh, yeah. <laughs> in the next seven years, but uh, we're determined to do it for the health of our county and our economy, but also it's what raise, raises wages. And that's what I'm passionate about. I want to make sure that when people work full time mm-hmm. and, and, and do what they're supposed to, that they can actually make a wage that they can raise their family on. And, 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 and with those kind of skills, I think you can. So we're, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Dave Coulter, Oakland County Executive. Always great to catch up with you. Great to see you up here uh, on Mackinac Island. Thanks for coming by. Always enjoy it. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation.